Books for Beginners, a podcast with Chris and Jerry. They talk Batman, comics with reading, a put in the can. They're also groovy, man. No job, just talk bat fam. Are the comics exciting? Does Batman go break their bones? Who's the Robin beside him? They'll break it down and tell you if you should spend your sweet cash. Bat Books for Beginners. Hello, and welcome to this edition of TBU's Bat Books for Beginners, episode 179. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, break down the plot and the art, and give you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book Chris and I are covering is Outsiders, Five of a Kind. Chris, tell us a little bit about this book. Thank you very much, Jerry. Hey, awesome job again with the musical intro. Thank you. Got a little Ziggy Stardust (laughs) going on there. Yeah, I like that. Some Bowie. Yes. Hello, Bat fans. Thank you very much for downloading and spending some of your time with us. Outsiders, Five of a Kind is a 158 page trade paperback that was cover dated March 2008 and had a cover price of $14.99. As far as I can tell, this trade paperback has only gone through one printing. This trade paperback reprints six issues, five one-shot team-ups that were released weekly with the following titles. Nightwing and Captain Boomerang Jr., Katana and Shazam, Thunder and Martian Manhunter, Metamorpho and Aquaman, Grace and Wonder Woman, and Outsiders, the third series, number 50. All were covered dated October 2007 and cover priced at $2.99. If you're considering obtaining a hard copy version of this, both the individual issues and the trade paperback can be yours for less than the cover price. At the time of this recording, one online vendor was selling a used copy of the trade paperback for as little as $3. Whoa. Yeah. Price of a regular comic. There you go. Yeah, the individual issues do appear to be available on Comixology. Okay, now for our creative teams, we have quite a mulligan stew of different <laughs> writers and artists. Wow, that's the last time I said mulligan stew, mulligan much less stew. heard that. Mulligan stew. Yes. To give every creator a lengthy bio would take up the whole podcast, so I'm going to give a little bit of background of each before we cover each issue. Some of these creators have been mentioned on previous episodes of our show before. Some of them have not. As usual, I'm going to go off my memory and some online research that I did. Okay, first up that Jerry and I are going to look at is Nightwing, Captain Boomerang Jr. This was written by Nunzio de Philippus and Christina Ware. Now, I don't think we've mentioned either of them on our show before. They're a married couple, and they both met while they were students at Vassar. They've worked in various media. They have a long list of writing credits, and they've also written on two seasons of the HBO series Arliss. Around the same time the issue originally came out, they also worked on Marvel's New X-Men Academy X, and I think this was where I first encountered them. Along with Weir, they created almost two dozen 
two dozen new superpowered mutant characters for Marvel's X-Men franchise, including Surge, Hellion, Winddancer, Prodigy, Wallflower, Elixir, Tag, Rockslide, Mercury, Anole, and Wither. DePhilippus taught comic writing at a UCLA extension before teaching screenwriting and comic book writing at the Los Angeles branch of the New York Film Academy, where he is now a chair of the screenwriting department and dean of faculty. Now, the art in this one was done by Freddie Williams II. He also provided the cover artwork. Williams has had two lengthier mentions on our previous podcast, most recently in our last episode. He has a long stint as a Robin artist on the title around this time. You can check out his website at www.freddyart.com, and the colors were done by Guy Major. Jerry, do we want to get into this issue right now? Let's do it. Let's go right into it. So this is Outsiders, Five of a Kind, number one. Now, as Chris mentioned, this is a, a set of not quite one-shots. They're loosely tied together, but we'll cover these one by one and discuss them afterwards. So... Number one opens with Batman sending Nightwing and Boomerang Jr., who now has super speed, to investigate a Star Lab space station that has gone incommunicado. The pair is trying to get to the station before the U.S. government can. The space station has docked against the body of Chemo, the giant sentient container of dangerous chemicals. Kind of looks like the Michelin Man, but definitely yes. much more toxic. Much more toxic, with a lot more uh, clear spew in there, yes. Definitely. Chemo had recently destroyed Bloodhaven and has been cast out into space. Star Labs was trying to use some of Chemo's chemicals uh, to interact with bacteria when they lost communications. Batman sends Boomerang Jr. on the mission to test him, but Boomerang Jr. is upset at having to prove himself over and over and over for Batman. Batman is kind of a jerk about it, but, you know, Batman is being Batman. He and Nightwing get to the space station and find the skeletons of dead scientists everywhere. The chemobacteria has gotten huge and dangerous. There are six of them. They attack the pair, and it eats through any organic material. Boomer bravely uses his super speed to get the attacking blobs near the airlock, and they are able to launch them into space where they get reabsorbed into chemo. Nightwing prepares to launch chemo into the sun so this can never happen again. Boomer doesn't want him to, and the two fight. The battle lasts long enough for the USA spaceship to arrive and block Nightwing's plans. Turns out, Boomer had been working for Amanda Waller, who doesn't make him prove himself over and over. He will not be a member of the Outsiders. He'll join the Suicide Squad instead. Also, Batman kicks Nightwing off his own team. So that's number one. What do you think about this, Chris? Well, I had some mixed feelings about this because I always liked Nightwing as a leader, you know, and it was a chance for him to prove himself a little bit. There was a lot of internalization here with the Captain Boomerang Jr. character, though, him trying to prove himself, him trying to rectify himself with his dad. There was like, hey, how come – when are you going to drop this stuff with my dad, Batman? Hey, mm -hmm. Nightwing, when are you going to drop this stuff with my dad? Well, if you drop the moniker Captain Boomerang Jr., so you, you know, yeah. and you had your own name, you know, this, this may not have happened. I, I had some mixed thoughts about this. I thought the book was a little bit lengthy. This served as a postscript to the bombing of Bloodhaven. Uh, a little long for my taste, but we did get some setup for what's about to happen with some foreshadowing with Batman. Mm -hmm. 
but overall, I thought this was just right down the middle. I, I just thought this was just a standard average tale with some comic, a little bit greater stuff, but we did have some mild bit with action. That was interesting in a sci-fi kind of feel. Mm-hmm. A threat out in outer space. I can I can dig that, with especially with these two characters that are usually more grounded in an Earth setting. Yeah. So I thought this was maybe average to slightly average. How about you? Yeah, I, I didn't think this was particularly great. I, there was nothing really bad about it. Uh, kind of interesting. A little bit of, uh, you know, it, it, it's always strange when you kind of are on the side of the person that's against Batman. You know, he's like, will you guys just leave me alone about my dad? And he's like, you know, they should because he, you know, Owen has done uh, some pretty heroic things with Nightwing. I don't see why they really should be questioning him. Uh, but they do. And uh, it turns out Batman later has a little bit more uh, uh, logic behind what he's doing. But it kind of seems like, uh, and we'll talk about that a little more uh, later in the podcast, but it still seems a little forced. I thought that, you know, the fact that there were six of these blobs and, you know, why were there six? It it never really paid off. Why wasn't there just one big one they fought? And um, it just seemed like a lot of detail that mm, petered out, kind of. Nothing bad, nothing confusing, just like you said, right down the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, should we move on? Let's move on to number two. This okay, is, this would be Katana and Shazam. Yes. So Katana is fighting some baddies and kills them, but their souls aren't sucked into her sword as usual. Then she's attacked by a woman warrior, Battleaxe, who says she wants to be master of the demon realm Fukumaden. Now, this is the place that all the souls killed by uh, Katana's soul taker blade are generally sent to, including Katana's brother-in-law, Takeo whom she killed with Soul Taker after he killed her husband and children. Katana had been to Fukumaden before and returned. She's managed to return because she is the owner of Soul Taker uh, and has some extra rights other people don't have. But these others, these other ones that have been attacking her, have also escaped. How did that happen? She tries to reach out to the demon realm to contact Takeo, But her lines get crossed and she gets uh, Shazam instead. (laughs) He says that Fukumaden is having a rebellion. And since Katana is the owner of Soul Taker, it's her job to go sort it out. Only those who die by Soul Taker go to Fukumaden. So Katana, she stabs herself with it and she goes to the demon realm. In Fukumaden, she's attacked by a gang. And they want to either kill her or sell her as a slave in the capital city by the base of the volcano where Emperor Takeo's palace is. She lets them take her to the capital on board a ship. En route, the ship's captain contacts the emperor's sorcerer and tells him that he has a woman matching the description of someone they are looking for. Gee, I wonder who. I don't know why they would be looking for her. Takeo says that he wants them to take her, Katana, to him once they dock. Takeo tells Battleaxe to kill her. Before the ship can arrive at the capital, it is attacked and sunk by rebels. Katana is able to free herself, but many drown. She's picked up by the rebel ship along with another slave pal she made. The rebel ship is run by a Captain Haruda, who knows that she is Katana, the master of Soul Taker. 
It is her duty to stop Takeo, who also has this sorcerer by his side. Katana joins the rebels in in an attack on the capital. They make their way to the throne room. Takeo wants her to be his queen, and they can rule the demon realm together. And then he wants them to launch an attack on the physical world. Katana isn't interested in any of this and cuts off Takeo's hand with a simulated sword she summons into existence. She is the master of Fukumaden, after all. Takeo's sorcerer goes to dissolve her soul, but Shazam uses his magic to bring her back to life in the physical world where Battleaxe was about to attack her physical body. She attacks and defeats Battleaxe. She knows that she must someday return to Fukumaden to stop Takeo. Batman respects what she has done and asks her to join the Outsiders. And that's number two. Hmm. What'd you think? There was a lot going on here. And, you know, I think if a listener heard your synopsis, they can kind of glean that it lasted a little bit more than the previous one. So, yeah, there was a little more meat to this story. And out of all the stories or out of all the issues covered in our show, this was probably my favorite or at least second favorite of the book. That said, I think Shazam got a little bit of a short shrift here. This is primarily a Katana-focused, Katana-driven story. Mm -hmm. Uh, The artwork here on this one was done by Kevin Sharp. Uh, Kevin Sharp, uh, I don't think he's been mentioned on our show. He has his own Facebook page where you can find more about his art and learn about him. Links on this one were done by Robin Riggs, and uh, we had Richard and Tanya Horry with the colors on this. This was a really good depiction, and who better to depict Katana? Because I think this was, you know, I remember her from way back in the Batman to Outsider series, and that was done by, uh, as was with this issue, it was done by Mike W. Barr. Now, just to take a step back, uh, for those readers who aren't familiar with him, Barr was born in 1952. He's 65 years old already. Jeez, where does the time go? <laughs> you know, Barr was writing comics since way back in 1974, uh, where he did a backup feature in Elongated Man back in Detective Comics number 444. Hmm. Two things come to mind immediately with me with Mike W. Barr, and this was his stuff that he did in the early to mid-80s with uh, Batman and the Outsiders, and that was drawn by Jim Aparo. And then he also did the Camelot 3000 series, which was drawn by Brian Boland. Um, someone's going to yell at me if I don't uh, mention the Maze, Maze Agency, so there I have it. Uh, now, getting back to the story, great story. But I was a little unsure with the artwork. You know, Katana one minute has long hair. She's got really short cropped hair. She's got the bangs. She doesn't have the bangs. She's somewhat muscular. She's somewhat wafy. I I wish there was just a a, a standard depiction. And there's so many ways you can go with drawing the uh, female male anatomy. But for the most part, when you see a, a regular character like your Batmans, your Supermans, your Wonder Womans, they all have a pretty much the similar physical look down the line with no matter a good artist rendering on how they're depicted in the comic books. With Katana, you know, it's all over the board. It seems like every artist has their own particular take on this. So the art took me a little bit out of the story. Mm-hmm. The story was really good. Uh, I, I thought we'd really get this uh, great mystical land with uh, Fukumaden. I, I really wanted to know more about this realm. I, I seemed to get vested in the characters, vested in this place. And I overall, I thought this was a, more of the interesting reads that we had in this one. How about you? Yeah, I thought that it, it definitely was pretty well constructed. Uh, with, the, with the downside is that we, at the end of the story, this is really about Batman putting his team together, and they tease us with this story and then abandon it once, oh, well, 
good job, Katana. You're on the Outsiders. And oh, by the way, this 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 realm that you're the master of and are in charge of is still in chaos. And now you've gone and made it worse. And we're gonna just move on. Good luck with that. You know. Yeah. So I, I felt a little like that. This was really the story that I wanted to see. Um, uh, you're absolutely right about the art being uh, a little, you know, all over the place. I mean, it doesn't look bad. And I think it's normally well done uh, in terms of, you know, it's a good storytelling art. But as you say, Katana's hair changes all the time. She doesn't really uh, look Asian at all uh, in any way. Uh, and... Uh, I do have to say there is a couple of very good uh, scenes, and one of them in particular is, uh, you know, when she's on the slave ship, there's a, a picture of kind of like one of the slave drivers, and it's him pointing his finger at at her, and it's just the way it's laid on top of all the panels on the page. For some reason, it just caught my eye, and it looks pretty cool. Uh, so there are some artistic, you know, good artistic things here, but it's just the, the there's enough... Uh, questionable artistic choices and just the story doesn't end, which is really frustrating. <laughs> yeah, and if you're a Shazam fan, mm-hmm. this is a depiction that I, I didn't necessarily remember, which is one of the reasons I love being on the show is it's making me reread some of the things that I had forgotten about mm-hmm. because I'm sure this isn't uh, the, the late 2000s was a time that is right in the wheelhouse with particular comics fans mm-hmm. versus my sweet spot tends to be the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. And I could, I can recall those very, very fondly and with, with clarity. I don't recall this era with a lot of clarity. So I'm glad I'm getting a chance and opportunity to reread it yeah. and to end with my take on it. We've got this robed version of a, a Shazam and I, I guess well, Captain Marvel, what have you, I know some fans like, you know, chastise me for the use of the one, one more or the other, but it is Shazam on the cover and for the terms of the podcast, I'll address them as such. I, I think Billy Batson is now just basically stuck in this adult form of Captain Marvel. This is still a weird time in the DCU where I think there is a lot of tweaking, rebuilding, and I think this is one of the things that the series is trying to do is just trying to level some of the things and get some resolution with uh, some postscripts and then some launching points. And this is the inclusion of the Shazam character. If you if you're a completist, I, I would say check this out. But by all means, you're, you're not going to see a lot of Shazam slash Captain Marvel here. Yeah, very little, very little. Yeah. Okay, so okay. let's move on to number three. Okay, now number three, this is Thunder Martin, Martian Manhunter. This was written by Tony Bedard. I think I first encountered Bedard's work in the early 2000s with his work in the cross-gen comics. Those were some great comics. He worked on the title Mystic. He later worked on Marvel Comics title Exiles, and he had lengthy runs on Birds of Prey, Rebels, and Blue Beetle, among other DC titles. The pencils here are done by Coy Turnbull. He also did the cover. Turnbull is a native of Elmhurst, Queens, New York, and he mess may be best known for his long run on Aspen's Fathom title. The inks in this issue were done by Art Thibbert, and the colors were done by J.D. Smith. Jerry, what do we got on this one? Okay, well, the superhero Thunder is being trained by Martian Manhunter at Batman's request. They want to see if she has what it takes to join the Outsiders. They find a spacecraft and enter it. Inside is the giant, weakened son of Darkseid, Graven. He attacks, but they're able to defeat him. Graven was a great conqueror, 
but was defeated and lobotomized by the Green Lantern Kyle Rayner and put in the spaceship and sent to Oa. However, one of the female Furies, Speed Queen, wanted to use Graven's powers to destroy someone who is killing all the new gods. She's killed by an unseen force. Graven was able to escape, but is being trailed by the god killer. If he's attacked, he can use the Zeta radiation to transport the killer to Darkseid's throne room. That's not going to go well for that person in front of Darkseid. But before Graven can do that little trick, he needs to construct the teleporter, but he is having trouble in his befuddled state. Thunder and Martian Manhunter help Graven finish the teleporter. The God Killer attacks. It is Black Racer. Black Racer taunts Graven. The transporter is activated and Graven is teleported to see his daddy. But Black Racer turns out to have been Martian Manhunter in disguise. Graven finds someone other than his papa in Darkseid's throne room and gets an energy blast in the chest for his trouble. Batman decides that because Thunder let Graven go, that she has bad judgment and kicks her off the Outsiders. The end. What did you think about this one? I was pleasantly surprised to see two characters that I liked and don't get enough play, that being Martian Manhunter and that being the Thunder character. Fans of the current Black Lightning series may wonder about Thunder and where she appeared in comic books, and hey, here's a place to look. And she's teamed with, of all things, Martian Manhunter, where you can currently also see on another show, Supergirl. So there's two two recurring characters that are in television right now, and hey, they got a team-up book. Mm -hmm. That said... There was a lot of backstory given here, and we were suddenly immersed with these uh, Kirby characters with the Black Racer, and I just don't know if some of the – a new reader might be confused with what's going on here. There was a lot thrown at us. There was a lot of uh, Green Lantern referencing and the Kyle Rayner stuff. I was a little – lost trying to come at it from a perspective of what would I think of this if I was a new reader? Would I get lost in this? And I think there were some troublesome places. The art, while good, didn't necessarily help that much. Uh, Turnbull's points were kind of laid a little flat to me, and I got some problems with some of the perspectives with the, mm-hmm. with the panel layout. It was a good story, one of the better stories in the volume, but just slightly above average. How about you, Jerry? Yeah, I, I thought the art was, uh, the colors are very vivid here. Um, but there's some of the, as you said, the, the, the panel layout is a little confusing. And also some of the kind of physical foreshortening and the way people are standing, it's kind of confused. You really have to focus to figure out what's what. Um, there's a lot of chaos on some of these pages. Sometimes that's okay, but sometimes it is confusing to kind of follow, oh, which way am I supposed to go to this group of, pa- of action or that? Uh, so it, it is uh, a little confusing. However, there's also some pretty neat facial expressions on particularly Thunder. She has a, a lot of kind of snide uh, she's got a lot of attitude and it shows in the way that she's drawn, just little smirks and stuff like that. I liked how she and uh, Martian Manhunter got along. They had a good uh, camaraderie, a good back and forth. Uh, I'm, but I'm I, glad you mentioned that. I, I want to jump in here before I forget, because one of the things they did was, you know, 
John Jones Manhunter is a telepath, and we see some amusing bits there where he's reading the mind of her, and you know it's just very clever use of that. So uh, Tony Bardar did a good job, and you did mention some great facial expressions that uh, Turnbull did in this, and I think that is one of the strong suits. Sorry about that, Jerry. No, not at all. I just want to get in there. Definitely, definitely. So I, I think that. Uh, like you said, there's a lot of backstory, a lot of context you need, a lot of, oh, I'm the son of Darkseid, and this is what I do, and, you know, very uh, very Aragorn son of Arathorn, you know, <laughs> just going mm-hmm. into everybody's background and stuff like that, which is a little, it kind of got in the way of the story. Um, I did think also at the end when she wasn't allowed on the team... Uh, and I know that we will talk about that a little more later. You know, Batman says she can't join the team. And it seemed a little hokey uh, that she, that he didn't let her on the team. But there's there's more about that uh, later in uh, the Gray story. So mm-hmm. uh, do you have anything else about this story you want to talk about? You know, one thing I do want to mention, though, too, is sometimes we see how characters, especially in the heroic role, and how they – Look at a villain and can this character have, does this villain character have any redeeming value? Does this character deserve any help? Does this character deserve any retribution, rehabilitation, mm-hmm. or do they, or must they simply be punished? You see some conflict with Thunder going on with this here, and I do have to give some credit to this story. Amid all the backwash and amid all the subplot and amid all the backstory, we do see some nice internal, uh, thinking with how critical thinking with how Thunder is playing out in her uh, treatment towards Graven in this. Some mm-hmm. people might raise an eyebrow with uh, her actions in this. Some people may just think they were justified. Mm-hmm. I was, as a reader, I was pleasantly treated to a question, where do I land on this and what do I think of Thunder's actions? So this book did give me a little bit more food for thought that I didn't quite expect from a comic book. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought this was one of the more interesting stories, although it was a little – in my opinion, a little muddled as it... Oh, muddled is a perfect word. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Chris and I are going to take a little bit of break, uh, and then we'll get back to the rest of these stories after a few words from some of our friends. Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. 
I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. Warlord Worlds, a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, Star Slayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. you'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at warlordworlds.com. Welcome back. So we're going to continue talking about these stories with number four, Metamorpho and Aquaman. Chris, tell us a little bit about the creators. Thanks so much, Jerry. Uh, Metamorpho Aquaman. This was written by G. Willow Wilson. Wow, G. Willow Wilson wrote a DC book. Hey, yes, fans, mm-hmm. check this one out. Wilson was born Gwendolyn Willow Wilson in New Jersey back in 1982. Uh, I remember 1982. Oh, oh, yeah. What a year. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> So, born in 1982, G. Willow Wilson uh, is 35. She first encountered comics in the fifth grade, of all places, while she was looking at an anti-smoking pamphlet that featured the X-Men. Researching Wilson, I found out that her parents were atheists, and she converted to Islam while she was attending Boston University. Of course, G. Willow Wilson is probably best known now for the moment for her current and acclaimed well-received work on the outstanding Marvel title, Ms. Marvel, Mm -hmm. along with teen girl Muslim hero Kamala Khan. Fantastic series if you're not checking it out. This is one of Marvel's better efforts that we have right now. Great, great title, and I can't endorse it enough. The art and cover for this book was done by Joshua Middleton. Middleton is a Pennsylvania native, and I know him now for his recent outstanding cover work on the title Aquaman. So, Jerry, what do we got going on in this one? Okay, well, Metamorpho, the Element Man, and Aquaman, the young Aquaman, Arthur, are in the Sahara to rescue Simon Stagg. Aquaman wishes there was water, and Metamorpho points out that there is a lot of water in the underground aquifer. They come upon an army that's been killed by an attack by a giant sandstorm creature that attacks them too. Aquaman realizes that someone must be controlling the sandy creature and sees a woman in the distance. She has the Orb of Ra. He tackles her and she disappears into the sand. Aquaman follows her down into the underground aquifer where she intends to drown him. But you can't drown Aquaman. (laughs) (laughs) Silly. I would not try. No, don't try. Metamorpho uses his powers to suck Aquaman out of the aquifer back to the surface. She follows him. They knock her out. When she awakens, they have taken the orb which had been controlling her. They agree to destroy the orb and end the war that is taking place and bad guys that are destroying the aquifer. The woman's name is Halcyon. They go to an oasis where Simon Stagg is set up in a camp. 
There's an energy beam trapping Simon and his associates. Metamorpho frees them. Simon has been selling the water, but putting Krypton-81 into the water to test for chemicals. But it is radioactive. Krypton-81. I know. Every time. You couldn't yeah. just... Krypton-80 wasn't good enough. No, no, no. no. no 81. <laughs> it's radioactive and polluting the aquifer. Metamorpho crushes the orb with Halcyon's help. Halcyon disappears with his help uh, before she can be attacked. Batman thinks that Arthur did a fair job, but not good enough to be an outsider. And that's number four. What'd you think, Chris? I was just blown away that here's a book by G. Willow Wilson that I had forgotten about. I thought some of the writing was good here, and I liked some of the setting. I thought the Halcyon character was somewhat unique, and I wondered if there was any uh, bit of ties with um, uh, Wilson's writing. I know she went to Cairo, and I wondered if what, what background and what learning she had. And I'd really like to pick her brain as to the origin and creation of this particular character. We don't get too much of her background here, but I thought this was a really interesting character. The artwork, the color work was just really, really good in this one. Uh, whether, you know, I'm, I'm used to seeing, you know, when I think Metamorpho and Aquaman, there's a common thread. You know, we had Ramona Freyden who did classic artwork on both of these characters. The artwork was a little more subdued, but it, it was really evocative and effective, especially with the stuff in the Oasis, the desert. Simon Stagg, this, uh, I thought Wilson did a good job capturing his voice. This was a, <laughs> someone who's, uh, you know, definitely I think in the top five of uh, the DCU is one of the richest people in the DCU. And you could just see his uh, mechanizations of, of trying to get power and wealth by whatever means necessary. Mm-hmm. Characters were in perfect voice. And one thing that took me out of this issue slightly, though, was the depiction of Aquaman. And I've forgotten how... We're still in this, quote, one year later period where we have a young Arthur Curry version. And I tried to research and it got to be too complicated. So I just kind of gave up. This is not your traditional full adult version of Aquaman. So don't be fooled. I know some readers are and huge Aquaman fans are going, how did you not forget this, Chris? You know, this was just a great, you know, the period of time of his life. Please, please bear with me because, you know, the Aquaman I first encountered was adult. The Aquaman I know now is still an adult. This is just a version that just uh, didn't click for me. And while that was the only quibble I had, I thought overall this was one of the more enjoyable uh, chapters. And this was a pleasant surprise. What did you think? Yeah, I, I thought that there was a lot of promise in the story. I thought the art is very interesting. It's almost like uh, it's very the very thin pencil lines. The, the facial expressions are subtle, but definitely interesting. Uh, and the colors are almost watercolor sometimes. Yes. But then on on other colors, they're very almost like pixelated so it's almost like a a very strange combination of watercolors and kind of early we're still trying to figure out how to do colors on a computer Uh, Mm -hmm. i i think particularly in a lot of the purples there's some very uh uh, very you can see like little grains it almost looks grainy Um, but i i don't think that's bad necessarily it's just, that's a fair point, Jerry. You know, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something I thought about, but I didn't physically put in my notes because it seemed to you or 
I almost my takeaway was that from it was it almost seemed a little uneven in places. It was trying to create some dimension, but didn't quite fully execute it. Mm-hmm. You know, with the way you put that, I don't know if that's sort of the vibe you got, but I think you're, you're doing a phenomenal job of describing it much better than I could. Well, thanks. I, I yeah, it's almost like they want to give everything this a texture, but it doesn't quite work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't think that. I think it looks interesting, and I think it doesn't make it look bad, and it certainly doesn't take you out of the story by any standard. It's just uh, unusual, and I think it's worth seeing. I think it's definitely worth looking at. There's also one scene where um, Halcyon is kind of coming, like waking back up after they knock her out, and there's a really cool, uh, you know, as she sees Metamorpho and Aquaman standing over her, and it's fuzzy, and then it's a little sharper, and I, I think it's really pretty. Yeah, the blurry vision effect and then things come into sharper focus. Yeah, that was really, really well done with that sequence there. And it's one of those things that isn't executed in comics that well, but they did a really good job with this on that one. You know, it's, it's, yeah, the, the, I really like that. I like how it was uh, pulled off there. Now, in terms of the story itself, I thought that them going below, you know, into the underground aquifer with, with uh, Aquaman, I thought that was genius. I think that was a really great idea, and I really wish they played that out a little more instead of it just being a couple of pages. I, I found that the story kind of, oh, okay, we're... It, the main plot of the story was a little meh to me. I mean, I thought that the Metamorpho is a cool character. This is an interesting, unique version of Aquaman uh, and I just thought the let's save Simon Stagg let's crush the orb let's do this it just seemed like check 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 okay story's over where I think if they had gone into this aquifer and they made that a little more interesting made that a little longer played that out a little more I thought that would have been cool and I think this was just a little bit of a missed opportunity I agree because this is a scenario where you don't necessarily see these two characters together, much less in this particular setting. How would how great would it have been though if if you, they did what you said and just sort of uh, stayed on that realm and kind of went down that path yeah. just for a little bit and then maybe circled back to, mm-hmm. to, to 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 the root of this? That would have made it a little more enriching. Yeah, that's a good point. That's yeah. a good point because they had a great idea, they used it, and then it was over. So I yeah. think. Yeah, so, okay, so do you have anything more about this one you want to say? The only other note I had was Simon Stagg is not aging well. <laughs> you know, he's, he's one of the uh, older dudes in the DCU, and I really like the picture. And goes like, you know, you, you, re- you know when you see a po- photo of someone, you know, who's older, but they're, you know, more or less in their prime, and then you see, like, a current photo, and it's like, uh, wow, yeah. yeah, you know, you know, I let less me talk, ladies. <laughs> you know, somebody digs up my high school photos, but anyway, but uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, Simon's not aging well, but that's all I had. Okay, great. So now on to number five. Okay, so next up. Yep, Grace. Yeah, we got Grace Wonder Woman. This was written. Wonder Woman, yes. Uh, she was written by uh, Mark Andrenko. Andrenko has been mentioned on our show before. I know him from some outstanding work that he did in the DC Kate Spencer Manhunter series about 10 years ago. His work and contribution on the Love is Love graphic novel, of course, and he's co-writing something that Jerry's familiar with, the current uh, Harley and Ivy meet Betty and Veronica, DC Comics and Archie Comics crossover. The pencils on this one were done by Cliff Richards, not to be conflu- confused with the British pop artist Cliff Richard, oh. who sang Devil Woman in the 
1970s. Oh. I bet you, you remember. She's just a devil woman. I remember you. that. Very yeah. <laughs> Cliff Richard, yeah. So this is Cliff Richards. He's a Brazil native. He's done many DC comics, including the OMAC Project and the Huntress Year One. Inks are done by Art Thibbert. Uh, Cover art on this one was done by Christian Alamy, and our colors were done by Jason Wright. Jerry, what do we got on Grace Wonder Woman? Okay, well, Grace Choi is half Amazon, but a different kind of Amazon than Diana. Her tribe is the Bana, who were militants and into weaponry. The Amazons joined most other metas in their recent attack on America. Grace and Wonder Woman go to Cleveland to stop some Banatech from destroying the city. Batman tells the two that there's a woman suffering from radiation sickness at a nearby clinic. The two go and find the woman named Imani, who is also Abana, but her memories were erased. They get a report of a disturbance at the courthouse, and Grace leaves Diana to talk to Imani to take care of it. At the courthouse, there's a giant orb that's killing people. Grace breaks in and is immune to its beams. There are also handholds that allow her to hold it over her head. It is clearly Bana designed, so it won't harm Grace, who's a Bana. Wonder Woman takes Imani to the scene. The orb is too heavy for Grace, and she drops it. However, Diana catches it with her lasso. Then a countdown starts. Grace reaches in and pulls out the radioactive material inside the orb before it explodes. Batman asks Grace to join the Outsiders, but tells her that Thunder, her girlfriend, has been rejected. She's upset and has to be restrained from attacking Batman. Batman explains the setup. Since all the chaos recently caused by Black Adam and the Amazons turned people against the Metas, the Earth is cracking down on superheroes. The Outsiders, in his concept of the team, is going to be a team of outlaws, and he had wanted to spare Nightwing and Thunder from the stigma of being on this outlaw team. Grace, though, contacts Thunder via flip phone. Hmm, I wonder what's going on there. <laughs> so that's this story. What'd you think? I thought this one had a lot of promise once I saw the, the creative team involved here. I really am a fan of Mark and Drinko's work a lot, a lot. That said, this one seemed just a little bit kind of on the weak sauce to me. Um, I, I really couldn't quite feel invested with with the mission that the characters were set on. Uh, I don't. I can. I'm trying to buy Grace being you know part of the Amazon race. I, I, I can. Okay, if you if you tell me that, I'll accept it. This is comic book lore, what have you, and things get retconned and tweaked. As a longtime reader, I accept that. Mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't feel vested in the mission and the assignment on this, especially, you know, and Draco does a really good work with uh, the characterization, with the internalization, and especially he does a great job with writing female characters. Case in point, the previously mentioned Kate Spencer Manhunter, and, he, you know, the current work he's doing, you know, with uh, the female characters, Harley, Avey, Betty, Veronica. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to get invested in this, but I just couldn't quite feel it. I, I, I don't know if what more to say about it. I, I really wanted to like it. I thought the artwork was just kind of average to below average. Um, there was some bits with Wonder Woman, though, that really reminded me of Adam Hughes here on this, and I don't know if Cliff Richard was sort of trying to... you know, mime it a little bit, because there were some certain panels where we had Diana 
looking a little bit with the hair and, and, and thing. And it really was evocative of Adam Hughes in some places, but it was just Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't necessarily Grace and uh, Grace with a Adam Hughes, you know, tweak to it. Uh, that, that's all I had. Yeah. I, I wish I had more to say about it. Jerry, what did you think? Uh, I, I think that maybe the uh, author wasn't uh, invested in the story either because there was a five-page uh, digression that I didn't even touch on in my <laughs> review. Where mm-hmm. they, cause apparently, uh, Grace had been living in foster homes, and one of the foster homes that she lived in was Cleveland. So Wonder Woman's like, yeah, hey, let's go. While we're there, let's do stop off and check in on your foster family. And it turns out they go through page after page of talking about it and getting on buses and, you know, taking public transportation around Cleveland. And, oh, they were killed in a car crash. Oh, well, let's go and find out about them. Oh, that's Batman on the phone. We got to run. And plot line dropped. Yeah. And there was a little bit where they're taking the bus and a girl, you know, they're kind of incognito on the bus. And we found out that the one little girl is a Wonder Woman fan and everything. And I suppose that was cute, but, you know, nothing more than that. It should have resonated a little more and just didn't quite land for me. I, I don't know. I, I it's And I feel so sad when I read stories like this because I, I, I'm really trying to get into it, but I, I just couldn't quite get into it. Yeah. And I, and I think that there's a thread of a good story here. And part of it is interesting, and even the even the parts that from a kind of a structure part that are kind of uh, digressions, they're interesting. But things just aren't paying off in this in this one shot. I agree. Well, best we move on to the final book, right. Outsiders number fifty. Yep, Chris. Okay, tell us about them. Okay, Outsiders number 50. This was written by Tony Bedard. We just mentioned him a moment ago. The pencils here were done by Matthew Clark and Ron Randall. Uh, Clark is based in Portland, Oregon, and he works on Marvel Comics Ghost Rider. You can check him out on MatthewClarkArtist.com. Finally, we get to talk about Ron Randall, who I am glad to mention on our show. <laughs> I first encountered Ron Randall's work in the 1980s on the DC title Arox, Son of Thunder, and, of course, The Warlord. Ron Randall is currently working on the Marvelous series Trekker, featuring the outstanding female character Mercy Sinclair. This gives me an opportunity to plug Trekker Talk, the podcast hosted by our friends Darren and Ruth Sutherland, where you can find more about Ron Randall and his fine series Trekker. And Ron's Kickstarter campaign where you can support Trekker Chapeltown graphic novel. More information on that can be found on TrekkerKickstarter.com. Please, please, please check that out. Links in this issue were done by Art Thibbert. Covers were done. The cover on this one was done by Guy Major. Jerry, what do we have here? Well, there is a meta human bar that is full of supervillains. Matches Malone. <clears throat> Matches Malone. I we wonder who that, him before. Yeah, I think he. I think he might be in some kind of disguise as somebody we know. Okay, yeah, right. yeah. So he's collecting bad guys. So as we're Chris and I are alluding to, uh, spoiler alert: Matches is Batman, who's uh, that's one of his favorite disguises, and he's inside the club while the Outsiders and Martian Manhunter are keeping an eye on it from the outside. One of the baddies inside the club is. One of my favorites, Selena Kyle. Thunder also arrives. Grace is inside as well. Matches is upset at Grace for inviting Thunder. Suddenly, the Suicide Squad attacks. Deadshot tells them to take the metas alive. Boomer is with the squad. Catwoman recognizes Matches, and of course she knows that he's really Bruce, and joins the Outsiders in fighting back. 
Matches gets suited up as Batman and joins the fun. The squad gets away with kidnapping some of the uh, some of the oddball bad guys, Tweedledee and Tweedledum and Crazy Quilt and a couple of folks like that. Now, Batman's plan wasn't to stop the uh, kidnapping, but to get the word out about the Outsiders. Mission accomplished. Oh, and by the way, Catwoman wants to join the Outsiders too. The end. What do you think about this one? This was such a mishmash of stuff here. Uh, the, the scene in the bar seemed to be overly long. We're in a place, too, in the DCU where some of the familiar villains may not look that familiar. This is a crazy quilt version that is a female. I forgot we had a, a female version of the character. Uh, we may see some of the other villains may not necessarily be the version that you or I would remember mm-hmm. or could ever – may even be the present – in how they are in DC post-rebirth right now, the period where we're at. We just don't know. The elements of the story that I liked were was your favorite character, Catwoman, and I, and I was pleasantly surprised to see her in this. I had forgotten about this particular issue and the setup here that we had. I thought it was overly long. I thought it was kind of uh, drawn out, a little bit of excessive, and a little bit of chaos going on. We, we just – it seemed muddled. It seemed murky. I tried to put it down. If I'm having a bad vibe with a book, I'll just maybe step away, then reattack it, reattack it like it's like it's a chore or something. But no, it's it's something. No, to be fair though, if I'm going to look at this critically, I, I want to be, I want to give it a fair shake. Uh, so, but I, I just couldn't quite feel all what was going on. I was very confused with with all that was happening here and the Suicide Squad and and all this and this guy's on this side of the line now and this guy's on that side and Boomer's over here and this is over there and where does Catwoman fall into this? Very confusing read uh, and my second try a little less confusing but I thought just just lasted a little too long for me just to get from point A to point B. How about you? Yeah, and and I think that this comes back to uh, Batman's confusing strategy here, right? This is how they're going to get out the story about the outsiders. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but it's just a lot of details, like moving chess pieces around so that they're in the right place. And it just seems like it's, it's too fussy. There's just, it seems like this should be a simpler story. Uh, I, yeah, of course I love the fact that Catwoman's here and, and there's actually Towards the end, when the team kind of assembles back on the on their, uh, um, I don't know what it is, a ship, I guess, a submarine, I guess it is. You know, you see, you see these legs and boots. Uh, this one little tiny panel of of Catwoman's legs and boots uh, sitting at the you know driving area of the sub, and it's just like you see her in silhouette, just her legs. It's really, really well done. And then, of course, the last page is her, um, you know, saying that she wanted to join the team. And it's done very well. But I think that the five panels of one of my favorite characters is not enough to put this one over the top for me. Mm, Absolutely. It's still disappointing. You know, I can see this exercise to set up... uh, tearing everything down, leveling the thing down to the foundation, then trying to build it back up again. But this... I don't know. What do you think of Batman's motives and attitude in this? Because, you know, we've seen recently over in the Robin Strug, he's a more softer version of the character, at least in this time period that we're covering, the 2007-2008 period. But now he's in just his total... Yeah. You know, I don't want to swear here, but, you know, just (laughs) more of his... He's a 
Yes, yeah. that, that that that. Thank you. That that mode of Batman, and and uh, so you you found him the same way. Then I take it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that uh, in all of these stories, you know, Batman is kind of his his. He looms even when he's not in these stories. He's looming over them, and as a dark, unpleasant force. And that's not how I like my Batman. Yeah. 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 So. Overall, overall, you know, when I first got this assignment, I got to tell you, Jerry, I was dreading it. You know, we just reviewed an Outsider story two episodes ago, and I thought, you know, while that particular trade had its moments, it was pretty standard and average, at least for its time. And now with this one, there's sort of a mop-up feel in places with some residual aftermath mm-hmm. with the bombing of Bloodhaven and then the then current Amazon Attacks miniseries with the uh, Grace Wonder Woman. We still had uh, a complicated uh one year later youthful version of aquaman here that i, I just didn't you know want to confuse anybody with with more of the background and take up more time on the show right. so there were some places that i liked and some places i didn't like you know do you have sort of like were there any other thoughts you had overall with this particular trade well i think overall you know i i, I don't know if let's if we can get into our ratings uh now if you if you'd like so sure just so i could talk about you know where i think that this would be and uh, I, I think it is overall. If the, the the reason that this is hard for me to to put a single rating in is that there are some awesome things about it, some really promising things like the aquifer, uh, you know, in in the Sahara, and just some of the characterizations. I kind of like uh, Boomerang Junior, and uh, I liked a lot of you know Metamorpho, and I liked a lot of this. Uh, uh, pieces of this, but it never pays off, and it is extremely frustrating to me because this could be really, really good. So I think because of that, I would rate it uh, 3.0 batarangs uh, because just because of my frustration factor. This should be better. It's not that it's bad. It's just that it has more promise, and and none of these stories pay off. How about yourself? One of the things I thought about is what did this remind me of as a comic book reader? And I remember being treated to looking at reprints of old Justice Society stories from back in the 40s. And each one, you know, there'd be a a threat. And then each successive chapter, you'd, you'd focus on an individual character taking on you know their particular mission and sometimes those chapters were done with different artists Mm -hmm. but they would still tell a story and i thought that was pretty cool like you know uh this chapter is done by carmine infantino this chapter is the hawkman's done by joe kubert then then so on and so on and i thought that was really good and then tying it to the other days of your back in like uh 70s where you'd have the justice league and justice society Mm -hmm. team-ups where you took like um another threat and then we've got like uh the earth one batman and the earth two sandman have to go and fight this guy or you know uh the earth two hawkman and the earth one wonder woman will go over here and you know you're moving all these places and you've got all these unique scenarios where you've where you're mixing these characters so i really liked the concept of this with the team up but some of the version of the characters just really kind of soured me because they are not the ones that I am accustomed to seeing in particular Shazam and Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I 
didn't hate this, but some of the versions of these characters took me out of it, and some of them just didn't get enough play in some other areas. I was on the fence between a two and a half out of five and a three. Mm-hmm. I'm ultimately going to give it a three. I give it a three out of five based on the parts I did like about the story and the uniqueness of this concept that I just don't see or would like to see more of. You know, And we did have some single story, single-line, standalone chapters here. And I think those were some nice nuggets. And we got a little bit of everything. Boy, didn't we? Mm-hmm. We got a certain mixture of talent. We got a certain mixture of artists, each bringing little different things to the table. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not going to say this is a quote-unquote must-read, mm-hmm. but I am going to give it a three out of five. Okay. Yeah, I think that if you're an outsider fan, I think this is a great book to read, uh, and I would recommend it. Uh, you know, for me, who doesn't really follow the outsiders and is more interested, you know, in Katana, for example, who, you know, her story as she's trying to, you know, uh, deal with the demon realm. I thought that was interesting. And so I was more focused on wanting that to pay off and it doesn't. But if you're an outsiders fan, maybe it, you know, putting the team together is more important to you. And then, then your, uh, you know, approach to this would be different and you may appreciate it more than I did. Cool. All right, so that's all we have for this book. Now, Bat Books for Beginners is part of the BatmanUniverse.net network of podcasts and written reviews. We offer all the Batman-based weekly comic book reviews, news, and some great podcasts, including the flagship comic podcast, Everyone Loves the Drake, Batgirl to Oracle, and so many more. If you like what we offer, please consider donating to us at the TBU Patreon account. You can find a link to our Patreon account on the BatmanUniverse.net website. Now, Chris, I mentioned Batgirl to Oracle. You do a little something on there, don't you? Yeah, I'm very fortunate enough to be on Stella's fine podcast, Batgirl to Oracle, where she reviews the chronological appearances of the Barbara Gordon Batgirl and anything Batgirl-related. I review the Batman Adventures comic that was based on the animated series from the 90s, and I'm very honored to do that. You can also follow me on Twitter at my handle BTONBatBooks, where I'll just tweet a lot about nostalgic things and things that just strike my fancy, and maybe some live tweets during uh, MeTV on Saturday nights. <laughs> Jerry, you know, I gotta commend you because I know you've I, I am just, if I'm not envious of the talent you bring Aww. to our podcast, I can also find you on the BatmanUniverse.net website where you do some excellent written oh, reviews. thank you. Yeah. Now, what are you digging now? What are you checking out right now? Well, uh, I'm, I've been working on Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, but that's going to be winding down. So we'll see, you know, how that plays out, uh, as that ends. But I'm also picking up Batgirl. So I've been liking that and I'm really looking forward to doing that. And we mentioned it before with the Andreco thing, Harley and Ivy meets Betty and Veronica. And, um, I'm reviewing that as well. So. Uh, definitely people should uh, go over and check out uh, all the reviews at the Batman universe. And I love what you do with the Batman adventures on Batgirl Oracle. It's, it's so great. Thanks. Thanks. You know, uh, and uh, is, is Mother Panic still going on? I know that it had it the had sporadic stopped. with the uh, young animal stuff, but yeah, it had stopped and uh, they're supposed to kick it back up in a couple. I think it's, I think it's coming up. They're going to be starting that again. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure. Jerry, can we also find you on Twitter, my friend? Yes, you sure can. I'm at Professor Frenzy on Twitter. That's Professor Frenzy. Uh, I tweet 280 character reviews. I show the the comic books I get for the week. I 
do some reviews of my favorite DC books as well as some indie books. I do some Dark Shadows tweeting. And as Chris mentioned, he doing talking about me TV. Uh, both of us, we do some uh, Svengooly hashtag Svengooly tweeting on Saturday nights. Uh, last night was uh, was it Terror from the Skies? Terror from the Sky, <laughs> yes, us, awesome attack. movie. Yeah, be attack. Yes, uh, you know, I, and and some of the fans on there, you know, don't don't necessarily like the seventies TV movies. I wow. confess, I love them. They're right <laughs> in my sweet spot. I, I just. There's something about the 70s, the 70s movies that I just love. And, and this one had uh, Ephraim Zimlis Jr., who, of course, was the voice of Alfred on the Batman animated series. We had, had Dan Haggerty, best known for uh, Grizzly Adams, you know, yeah. back in the 70s. Just those shows like that. Oh, I, I can't love uh, Sven Gulli. And he liked and retweeted one of my tweets, and I just ah. made my night. So, yeah, you know, that was that was so flattering. And uh, it was, it's just such a great community on there. So, yeah, hop on board. A lot, of, a lot of friendly folks there, yep. Absolutely. So, and Chris and I, we also uh, listen to a lot of other uh, podcasts, and one of them uh, is Cosmic Treadmill and Weird Comics History with Chris Sheehan, who you can get on uh, on Twitter at Ace Comics and at Reggie Reggie. At Chris and Reggie, they discuss some classic comics, and they have unbelievable detail. They do great voices. They play out the uh, the scenes with the different voices. It's a lot of fun. You should check it out. Yep, yeah. and then uh, there's also Randy Andrews at Soundtrack right. Alley, and he does uh, Gen 13 Files. That's really good. Uh, who else do we have that uh, we'd like to give a nice shout-out to? We definitely want to give a shout-out to the Sutherlands, who do Warlord World, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Trekker Talk, Sensational Sleuths, and uh, they do a fa- was it Fantastic Fantasies, which yes. is also terrific uh, podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, they, they were uh, actually... Uh, uh, part of that whole Ron Randall uh, Kickstarter thing where they were helping uh, uh, helping get kind of get the word out about that Kickstarter and we all yeah. we all love to pitch in and help them out too. Uh, absolutely. Most recent episode had an interview with Ron Randall himself and that was really a great one. Yeah. Terrific. A terrific one. And we're also listening to Coffee and Comics with Clinton Robeson who does who also joins the Spengooly crew. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Long Box Crusade with Pat, Pat Sampson and, and his crew, which is a lot of fun. Great, great podcast. And one that I, I really like is Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace, where she, she covers all kinds of, uh, eras of Wonder Woman. And I definitely, uh, definitely recommend that one. Yeah, that's Angela. That's, uh, Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace. I like that she looks at the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. And then she also looks at, uh, the more contemporary stuff. And then like, uh, the, the New 52. And she also looks at, uh, episode by episode in chronological order, the Linda Carter, uh, <laughs> Wonder Woman TV series from the 70s. And love I, I, I love it. I love Angela's approach to it. It's no holds barred. You know, she tells it like it is, you know, with the fat, with respect to fashion and the plots. And, mm-hmm. and she looks at it from, from an eye, you know, with, with, with things. And it's just, just great stuff. I, I really can't get enough of that show. I also want to give a nice shout out to some new friends of our show, and that's Dave and John. Yeah. Dave and John uh, are on the podcast, uh, the Parlor Pod podcast. Let me spell that for you. That's P A. R L I P O D. That's short for Parla, uh, Parliament of Trees, where, where you had the thing with the swamp thing. But you know, uh, Dave from the podcast, he sent me a nice message saying he was turned on to our show by our good friend Christian from the Cosmic Treadmill podcast, and we just had this excellent conversation. It seemed like we had a lot of mutual interests, mm-hmm. and he turned me on to his fine podcast that he does every week, and it's a fantastic show. And he's also 
got the website that he's affiliated with, and that's uh, you can find at parlapod.com. And they've got a lot of excellent comic book news and reviews there. So I want to give a great, great, great shout-out to these guys. You can find Dave on Twitter at the Twitter handle LavaHog. That's LavaHog, L-A-V-A-H-O-G. And John, John is on Twitter. He is at HaydenStorm32. Please give a look at these and a listen to these great, great things from our new friends. We sincerely appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. And since you you were talking to them, I went and I checked them out. And boy, are you right there. That's some really good stuff that they do over there. So we definitely recommend them. Yeah. Hey, you know, and before we get to the likes and retweets, I do want to say we got some feedback on our last episode Ooh. with Robin, the big leagues. I do want to say, read some of our fan mail we got. We got a... Uh, Shout out and some feedback from Ian Miller, of course. Ian Miller at IBM Miller. Ian Wright writes in and he says, glad to hear that these Robin issues hit the spot for my fellow Tim Drake fans. <laughs> I don't think they're quite on the same level as the classic Dixon years. I agree with you. Yep, yep. But these were good, solid stories. A relief after the darkness of the evil cast story. Here, oh, here. Yeah. I am not a fan of evil heroes. I think it tends to destroy their fandom, character, and future stories as it did for Cass. Mm-hmm. So thank you for chiming in. And we also heard from our good friends at the Tim Drake podcast, Everyone Loves the Drake. Mm-hmm. And they chimed in and they said, we are far from covering this era of Tim Drake, but as it is one of my favorite eras. Tim is his own hero as Robin now. Even with being adopted by Bruce... He's his own man and has really come to his next phase of Robin. Great coverage, guys. Hey, thanks so much. From the guys. We also heard from a new supporter, relatively new supporter. That would be Nightstar, and oh, she yeah. can be found on Twitter at ccaps357. Again, ccaps357. I think I might have muddled that on the last episode. I apologize sincerely, Nightstar. And she writes in to say, the predictability and reuse of particular plot aspects, i.e., the villain turns hero, mm-hmm. is what keeps people wanting to read more. Mm-hmm. It shows that the hope that no matter how bad the villain may be, they do have a heart. Mm-hmm. And in parentheses, she says, Jerry, you mentioned the good and evil struggle. She agrees. Mm-hmm. It goes back and forth to the whole premise of how far is too far. Mm-hmm. What limits are there really for a hero before they come a villain? Or what links will a villain go to before they try to redeem themselves? This was an interesting listen to hear your perspective. The cheesy lines from Robin kept the lighthearted aspect of how, a major- how the majority of comic books have been. The overall story within is quite enjoyable. I really like the comments regarding the space and relationships between the characters. I, I really like the critical thinking that Nightstar puts out there, you know, because sometimes we take a book and, you know, we really can't get into the you know, below the uh, superficialness of it, and mm-hmm. within regards to the subplot, Jerry, you did a really good out job with the uh, struggle with the good and evil, and I think that's something there. This sort of goes somewhat, you know, with you know uh, Ian was saying, I think, you know, but again, you know, as with the last episode, we get some feedback which may not necessarily jive, but there is sort of a somewhat of an agreement in one way but somewhat of a disagreement on another but we really like where both people are coming from and I can both see both sides of the fence on this this is really really good yeah. and I also want to give a shout out to Nightstar because she really did a great job promoting our show on Twitter and we can't thank her enough this was you know when you get a new listener who, who really tunes into you and does so on a regular basis 
and we get somebody, you know, who gets a recommendation like, you know, with what Chris did, you know, Christian sure. recommended our show, you know, to Dave and John. You know, we can't thank the word of mouth, you know, folks enough for, for helping promote our show. We really appreciate it. Lastly, we heard from Darren and Ruth Sutherland, who on Twitter at Rad Adventures, where you can find them at Rad underscore Adventures. Jerry, they posed a question to you. Jerry, was the use of Rad in your song on the last episode <laughs> a reference to them, uh, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, as, as in their moniker Rad Adventures? Was that a reference to them? I'm going to pretend that the answer is yes, no Absolutely. matter what you say. Uh, okay. <laughs> 100%. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I caught that too, and I was wondering if I, – I, I hope those other ones are listening to that. I wonder what their take is on that. So, yes, thank you so much. We really appreciate all your feedback on the shows. Yeah. You know, and uh, we were reached out because sometimes I don't think we – we, we, you, you're welcome to leave comments on the TBU website under the show's feed. There's a space where you can write comments. But I've gotten at least two requests the past since our last show. Where could we email you directly if we had a question about the show? Mm-hmm. Well, you can reach me at my email is at bruce.wayne at gothamcity.us. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Twitter at BTO on Bat Books, as I mentioned before, and you can send me a direct message if you prefer not to email. So, yeah. uh, we, we don't have a direct uh, email address for the show itself, but we do have one individually. Yeah. Uh, Jer- uh, you know, Jerry, if, if someone wants to reach you, could they do that for, for, by Twitter or by email? And what would you prefer? Uh, so on Twitter at Professor Frenzy, you can direct message me. And then I have a, uh email address. You can uh, write me at Professor Frenzy at gmail.com. Very simple. Great. Excellent enough. And then before we go, I just want to give some uh, shout-outs to the likes and retweets we got on our last show. Please forgive me if, if somehow I overlooked you. There was su- there was such an outpouring on the last show, and if we do forget to miss you, please send me a direct message, and we'll be sure to mention you on our next podcast. So we had likes and retweets from Darren Murphy at Darren Murphy, Longbox Crusade at Longbox Crusade. Thank you so much. The Tim Drake Podcast again. You can find them at E L T D Podcast. Walt at Walt Neeland, Clinton, the aforementioned Clinton Robinson from the Coffee and Comics uh, podcast, where you can find him on Twitter at Coffee and Comics blog. Paul Shanley at Paul Shanley. You can check out his stuff on the Batman Universe website. Sean AZ at Sean42AZ. Nightstar at CCAPS357. Jim at Canada Daredevil. Dark Knight Minute at Dark Knight Min. Jeff Hunter at Jeff Hun34911855. Brian P. Brewster at Brian P. Brewster, the aforementioned Christian at Ace Comics, Bill Beer, friend of our show from the Too Old, Too New podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Gotham Night 13, Bob Moriarty at Bobby Mo Betta, Alterna Comics Fan Number One at Alterna Comics Fan One, Matches Balone at Matches Balone, Gail Ann Pepper at Gail Ann Pepper, Zach Sally at Zach underscore Sally, and of course Joe Crawford at Iowa's Joe. Thank you each and every one for the likes and retweets on Twitter. We can't thank you enough and sincerely appreciate it. Thank you so much, everyone. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have for today. Please join us in two weeks when Chris and I will cover. Batman and Son. I'm looking forward to that one. Me too. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And thank you for listening to Bat Books for Beginners.
for beginners. A podcast with Chris and Jerry. They talk Batman. Comics with reading. A put in the can. They're also groovy, man. No jive, just talk bat fam. Are the comics exciting? Does Batman go break their bones? Who's the Robin beside him? They'll break it down and tell you if you should spend your sweet cash. Bat Books for Beginners.